pay more. I used to do it a lot more. But when I used to counsel young guys and uh, their, their marriages, what would happen inevitably is that I would discover that they put their wives in a little box and that they thought their wives should behave and act in a particular way. And the reason that they were having the fight with their wives is because they put their wives in a box and were expecting them to behave in a particular way. You know what I discovered with the wives? They did the same thing. They, they, they had an image, a picture of what a husband should be like, and so they put their spouse in a particular box, and what happened is because they didn't behave the way they expected them to. The spouse didn't behave the way the husband expected to or the wife expected them to. Then they got into all sorts of arguments, all sorts of fights, and it created all sorts of tension. Now, you know what happened. That would only grow and only grow until they either A, made a pit stop in my office, or B, made a beeline for the divorce court. Because they had put the other person in a box, and when that person didn't behave the way they wanted them to, that person was the enemy. They wanted nothing. And you know what they wanted to do? Divorce the relationship. Leave the relationship. You know, that's happened to me. That's happened to me with friends. Has this ever happened to you as well? Where you were expecting your friend to help you move because you helped them move, and when they didn't act the way that you wanted them to, you all of a sudden had a resentment that grew into bitterness that eventually destroyed the relationship. Maybe it happened with your kids. Hey, you're supposed to behave in a certain way. When they fail to behave in a certain way, you put them in a corner. You said, I'm not going to pay you any mind. It only grew the divide. And then eventually you broke it off. You don't speak to them. Maybe you haven't spoken to your mother in the last two years because of that very thing. Moms are supposed to behave in a particular way. Act in a particular way. Be, respond in a particular way. And then, when they don't, I don't want to have anything to do with you. So it's been two, maybe three, maybe ten years since you've talked to that loved one. Now this is tragic when it happens in relationships like father, son, mother, daughter, husband, wife, friend to friend. That's tragic when it happens that way. But it's even more tragic when it happens with God. That when we see God and we say, okay, God, here's your script. This is the way you're supposed to act. Here's how I want you to deal with me. And if you don't, I will threaten divorce. If you don't behave in this particular way, I will head for the door. I know that this has happened with a lot of you because we talk. And many of us, listen to me, some of you are here in church for the first time in years because in the end, now you wouldn't say it just this way, but in the end, God didn't give you what you wanted after you thought you gave God what he wanted. And when God didn't provide what you wanted, you said, that's it, God, I'm out of here. In any relationship, whenever you take a person or even God, and you put them in a box, and you say you have to behave this way, and you ignore every other aspect of that person, you make it so that that relationship automatically fails. 
happens. It can't help but automatically. And so today, what we're going to do is God knows. God knows that you and me have a temptation in our relationship with him to put him in a box and say, God, you're this, but you're not that. You're God. You can behave this way, but you're not allowed to behave any other way. God, you can act in this manner, but I don't want you to act in any other manner. We do this all the time. Why? Because we divorce God from the rest of the Bible. We act like God lives outside of the where he hasn't presented himself in the scriptures. And so we invent a God, and by doing so, we remove all the parts of the Bible that disagree with how we think of God. And so when we read those parts, you know what we say. We go, well, that was the God of the Old Testament. That's not really how God is. Or that's not, that's not, you know what? That's not, that was cultural. That's not really how God is. That was cultural. The reason that they wrote that down like that is, you know, hey, hey, listen. My God doesn't test me. If he tested me, I would fail to say that. We say, we say, God, God is not like this. He's like this. And by doing so, what we do is we pigeonhole God only in the long run to make the divorce a reality. So we're going to read a text. God knows that you and I will pigeonhole. God knows that you and I, in the dark moments of our lives, let me tell you why this is so important to you, because you're going to have dark moments in your life. You're going to have moments in your life where you feel like, God, where are you? And he's like, I am right here. Do you not recognize my handiwork? And you're going to say, no, I don't, because you're not acting in the way that I want you to. You're going to approach God, and what's going to happen is, is God, you're going to, see, what, what, what's going to happen is, is that God is supposed to respond like the dutiful employee that he is. He's supposed to respond. So when God doesn't heal the sickness, that's it, God. I don't want to have anything to do with you. What good are you? When God doesn't fix the marriage, that's it, God. I don't want to have anything to do with you. When God doesn't make me feel better after a dark moment, that's it, God. I don't want to have anything to do with you. When God doesn't show up in the way I want him to show up, I'll show him the door. God knows that we're like that. And to put some scriptures in there. So that we might see how he really is. So we're going to read a long piece of scripture. I have some friends who are going to come up. And because it's a long piece of scripture, they're going to help me read it. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to look at who God is. And what we're going to find in this text is a psalmist who wrote about who God was. And he wrote about him from different aspects about how the Israelites had experienced him. And how God had shown him himself faithful. And how he was worthy of thanksgiving and praise. Just like we just saw. And so, one of the, uh, one of the uh, traditions that we have, and we don't have too many, but I love traditions, they're good. Um, is that we ask everyone to stand at the reading of God's word. Because we reverently respond to God in the reading of his word. This is his word. Let's look at God's word together. We're looking at Psalm 107. If you're new, we're so glad you're here and you get to bring your Bible. We have the scriptures on the screen. We also have it in your bulletin. You can read along in 
any which way you like. If you're over 40, think screen. If you're under 40 and you got your glasses, think your bulletin, okay? All right. All right, here we go. So, give thanks to the Lord for He is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those He redeemed from the hand of the foe. Those He gathered from the lands, from east and west, from north and south. Some wandered in the desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed them away. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for His unfailing love and His wonderful deeds for mankind. For He satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. Some sat in darkness, in utter darkness, prisoners suffering in iron chains, because they rebelled against God's commands and despised the plans of the Most High. So they subjected them to bitter labor. They stumbled, and there was no one to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness, the utter darkness, and broke away their chains. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he breaks down gates of bronze and cuts through bars of iron. Some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed all food and drew near the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds of mankind. Let them sacrifice thank offerings and tell of his works with songs of joy. Some went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the muddy water. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up the tempests that lifted, that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. And their pearl, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at the wit's end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired heaven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them exalt him in assembly of the people and praise him and the council of the elders. So I'll read for verse 43 together. Jump down to 43. One, two, three. Let the one who is wise heed these things and ponder the loving deeds of the Lord. May God bless the reading of his word. Thank you, guys. You did a great job, guys. Thanks so much. What we have is a psalmist looking back, looking in the rearview mirror of the lives of those of Israel, checking and reflecting back and seeing God in places that they weren't sure God was in. But then as they reflect back, they say, oh, God was with us. It was a lonely time. Wait, wait, wait. God was with us. It was a scary time. But hold on. God 
was with us. It was a time where we felt completely isolated and didn't think help was going to come from anywhere. But listen, listen. God was with us. Over and over and over, the psalmist says, God was with us. And so what we're going to do is he was reflecting on the lives of those in Israel. But I think that we have a lot of commonality with them. So let's see how God worked with them. And then we'll see how God maybe perhaps is working in our own lives. Because we don't want, let me tell you something, we don't want a cookie cutter God. We don't want the God that you invent. We don't want the God that you want. We want the God as he truly is. So I want you to see what, where we're going with this before we get into the different character traits or different aspects of who God is. It's found in verse 43, the very last verse. The psalmist tells us what he wants us to do with all the information that he just gave us about how God has worked in the past. Here's what he says. Verse 43. Let the one who is wise heed these things and ponder the loving deeds of the Lord. Let the one who is wise and heed these things and ponder the loving deeds of the Lord. You know why the psalmist says, ponder the loving deeds of the Lord? Because we don't. Life is fast. We're moving. And quite frankly, if we have God pigeonholed in the corner, in a box, where he's only supposed to behave or perform in a particular way, then what we find is that we only see God when it pleases us. We only see God at work when it works with our thinking. But listen, the psalmist says, ponder the loving deeds of the Lord. In fact, that's all I want you to know today. That for the rest of this series, we're going to ponder the loving deeds of the Lord. For the rest of this series, I'm going to ask you at the end of this sermon to consider taking one minute a day to ponder the loving deeds of the Lord. Now that's not too hard, is it? But at the end, just in case you have to leave to go to the bathroom and then you find the exit and just break out to the Atlantic, I think I get it. So I'm giving you the end at the beginning. Okay? Can you hang on? Watch this. The reason that God wants us to ponder is because God does not fit in the mold. God not only does not fit in the mold, but when we take God outside of the Bible and no longer consider the rest of the Bible, it's tough to see God as he really is. Let me ask you something. If I was describing God, and I was going to use three words, I'll give you the first two. Let's see if you can finish with the third, right? I'm going to describe what God is, right? So, God is love. love. Many of us would say love. God is love. We've, we've, we've heard that said. How many times have you heard that said? Hey, God is love. You don't even have to be. Listen to me. If you're not a Christian, you've said that or heard that and said, yeah, if there is a God, he's a God of love. Yeah, God is love. Let me ask you something. Where would you get that idea? Where would you ever get that idea? Would you get it from watching the news? No. Clearly no. Right? You would not get the idea that God is love from the news. Alright, would you get it from uh, studying world history? No. Not at all. You study world history, you see kingdom conquering other kingdom, conquering other kingdom. It's a, let me tell you something. History is filled with blood and all sorts of violence, right? 
What'd you get it from just looking at uh, just looking at nature? Has anybody here ever seen the Nature Channel? No. Yeah, it's a horror movie. It's a horror movie. It's like, oh, look at the little ant, and then the lion crouches. It's like, oh, it's the pretty little Bambi. Oh my gosh! What happened to Bambi? Right? Yeah. Right. Because it's a horror show. You would never, by looking at the news, by looking at history, or by looking at nature, ever get the idea that God is love. And yet, many of us, even those of us who are not Christians, now I'm speaking to those who are not Christians or those who would necessarily identify themselves as submitted lives under Christ. Listen to me, you would never get that idea. You go, oh, I know where we get that. It's just obvious, but it's not obvious. It's not obvious in history. It's not obvious in the news that you see. It's certainly not obvious in nature. You know where you get that from? You get that from the scriptures. But here's the deal. We take a phrase like that, God is love, and we divorce it from the scriptures so that if the little boy dies, well, then God is no longer loved because you divorced it from the scripture. In other words, what we've done is we've defined love as anything that makes me feel good or makes me happy. And so that's why, my goodness, in marriage, you can find so many people getting a divorce by, um, uh, by what is it called, uh, um, uh, irreconcilable differences. Why? Because I've defined love as you making me happy. And when you get off the payroll, and when you stop making me happy, then I no longer want to have anything to do with you. Well, here's the thing. If we define love that way, then anything that happens that's unfortunate in our lives, if we lose some money, the finances don't work the way we want to. Bills are piling up, that kind of thing. Then, where's God? Where's God? If, something more serious, if the baby's sick, if the baby's sick, and he doesn't get better. And you fast and you pray to God. Where's God? Where's God? If the marriage doesn't get better, it just seems to deteriorate and deteriorate. Where's God? Where's God? You see, because what we've done is we've defined love, and by defining love, we've defined who God is. Not in the way the scriptures say God is love, but in the way that we've defined, which is make me okay. Make me happy. Make me feel good. So, but when we look at the scriptures, there are aspects of the scriptures that help us to understand the world that we live in. So that when we look at Animal Planet, or when we look at the news, or when we look at history, we go, oh, okay, that makes sense. That makes sense because of the scriptures. And it's simply this. Creation, fall, redemption. Say that with me. Creation, fall, Redemption. Now we're going to do, you guys are going to say the first word, you guys are going to say the second word, you guys are going to say the third word. Can we do that? Creation, fall, redemption. One more time, these guys are asleep. I don't think they're going to do that. All right, really rock. Here we go. Creation, fall, redemption. That's the one. Okay, so now watch this. So now watch this. What happens is, if we don't see the Bible in its totality, what we do is we put God in a box. All of a sudden, he's not behaving the way we want to because he was supposed to act to make me happy. And then we leave, and we have, want to have nothing to do with it. And God is going, you, you're not leaving me because you created someone that's not me. You were never with me. It's almost like to me going, you know, oh, you know, going like this, oh, baby, I love you so much, I love you. You're, you know, you're... 
beautiful blonde hair and your, you know, and I'm talking to my wife, imagine, I'm going, I love your beautiful blonde hair and I love your gorgeous blue eyes and I love your caramel colored skin and I, and I love that you're five foot eleven and, and some of you are laughing because you know my wife has none of those things. My wife is a short Irish lady, beautiful, no doubt, but I'm saying she's a short Irish lady. So she would say, who are you talking to? Because I either have long flowing hair, blue eyes, caramel colored skin, or five foot eleven, right? She's none of those things. Sometimes we do that exact same thing with God. We go, God, I know you can do it. I know you can. I know you can. I know you can. And God goes, who are you talking to? Why don't you find out what I want and then rejoice in what I'm already doing rather than trying to bend my heart to make me do what I want to do. Redemption. What was it? Creation for redemption. One more time. Creation for redemption. Absolutely. And so what happens is, is let me give you the Bible in a nutshell. Okay, Bible in a nutshell. Anybody, can you hang out with me for one minute and 30 seconds while I do that? Okay, creation. God created everything and it was perfect. Someone say perfect. Perfect. It was perfect. It was flawless. It was absolutely beautiful. But and then, man disobeyed God. Man disobeyed God, and by disobeying God, rejecting his perfection. Man thought, I'll do better than perfect. <laughs> and they disobeyed God, and turned from him, and everything broke. That's called the fall. Someone say the fall. The fall. The reason they call it the fall is because it was a fall from, from perfection, a fall from deep communion with God. Listen to me. Everything broke. Disease entered the world. Earthquakes entered the world. Sickness entered the world. Broken marriages entered the world. Rebellious children entered the world. You know why? Because God put all authority over man, over the entire world. And when man fell, everything under him fell. And you go, that's not fair. That's just the way it is. And it might not be fair. I might, I might not disagree. I, I, might, uh, I might not disagree, but here's what I'm saying. You know that this principle is true. If dad was a winner, chances are the family won. If dad was a, am I lying about this? If dad was a drunkard, the family didn't do so well. It wasn't, watch this. Some of us had alcoholic moms. Right? It wasn't you that drank the alcohol. It wasn't you that consumed all that stuff. But you got devastated because of it. Isn't that true? Yeah. Like you got all sorts of wounds and all that stuff. Some of our fathers, they couldn't be loyal. They couldn't be faithful to their wife. And you still have issues in your relationships. And it's like 35 years removed. Watch. Because when the person with the authority does something, it affects everyone under them. Enron. It wasn't all those employees that did all this deceitful stuff. They were just dutiful employees going to work. But the people on top, when they broke, everything broke. That's the fall. God said, I, this is real authority. This is real trust. I love you and I'm not going to force you to behave. Listen, listen to me. You know what we call people who take people and say, you're going to love me? We call them kidnappers. Okay. God's not a kidnapper. 
God, God, God's not going to abduct you. God's saying, I will love you with a perfect love. Would you respond to that love? And we go, nah, no thanks. I think I'll find something better. And so he does that. And everything fell. So when you see in the news some tragedy, you go, oh, of course. There's, there's a fall. Oh, of course. It's, the world is broken. That makes sense. That doesn't mean that God doesn't love me. It just means that the world is broken. When something tragic happens in my life, I don't say, oh man, God doesn't love me. No, 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 no. Oh, there's a fall. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love me. It just means that this is part of the fall. It means, and in some ways, it means that God is closer to me than I thought. Because even in the brokenness of the world, God will walk through with circumstances, with the situation in every moment. Watch this. But let's face it. If there is just creation and fall, God really wouldn't be loved. I mean, God gave it to us, watched it broke, and then did nothing. But then there's this thing called redemption. And God redeems the broken world. He says, He says, You made your bed, and I will lie in it. He says, You broke everything. I'm going to get the glue. And I'm going to fix everything. And the glue is going to be with my own blood. Listen to me. You did the devastation. You broke everything. But I'm not going to stand idly by as you destroy everything. I'm coming and I'm coming in power. And I'm going to fix the deepest problem that you have. Relationship with me. Because you don't have relationship with me. You only do what you want. Which only brings you more grief and more suffering. I'm going to fix the most important thing. I'm going to fix the fact that you don't have a relationship with me. And I'm going to make our relationship eternal. Therefore, God comes from heaven to earth. Lives the life that you should have lived but did not. Dies the death that you deserve to die. But don't have to. Because he paid the penalty. You did the crime. He does the time. You paid the, you did the, the, you broke the law. He pays the penalty. He comes back and then he says, he doesn't just stop there. And he says, now listen, I'm going to redeem you in your soul. I'm going to give you eternity. Heaven starts the moment you receive me. But wait, it doesn't end there. I'm coming again and I'm fixing the rest of this broken we don't have the fall, then, listen, if you just think that this world just came to be because of an accident of nothingness, listen to me, you, A, you have more faith than I do. Because we all know that nothing comes from, right? Even the blues sing, right? Nothing from nothing comes, right? And second, if, if God did create, why is the world so messed up? Thirdly, what is God doing? How can we say that God loves us? Has he, left, has he abandoned us to ourselves? No, no, no. He's given us redemption. Creation, fall, redemption. When you see God, then a God of love makes sense. So we're going to look at four different ways that the Israelites saw God, see him perform in their lives, and then we're going to take the rest of the series to unpack it. Are you excited? I'm excited. Now remember, the only thing that I want you to do for the rest of this series is I want you to take one minute each day to what? Honor the loving deeds of the Lord. Because there are moments in your life, let me tell you something, 
tragedies. Well, you just have to go, God, you were, you were, you were working even in that. Even though Satan meant that for evil, you were working in that. Betrayal. God, even though that hurt like nothing else in my life, you are with me. Even through the fall. And you'll redeem. You'll redeem. Let's look at the first group of people. Jump down to verse 3. You see them? Some wandered in desert wastelands. Now, here's the deal. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty. Their lives ebbed away. Listen to me. This is crazy. Now, you and I don't have the idea that they, they had back there when we talked about city. See, most people, when they hit it big, they try to get out of the city, right? They move to the suburbs. They, you know, they, they do that whole thing, right? In this place, you couldn't possibly have security without a city. They were marauders at night. They were enemy uh, armies. There were animals that could devour you. You needed city walls. A city that had walls in order for protection. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city, finding no way to security, finding no way to protection. And here's what they did. Verse 5. Um, I'm sorry. Verse 6. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. Did they have distress? Yes. They cried out to the Lord, realizing that God was with them, even during this scary time when they had no security, when all the things that they thought they knew just fell out from under them, when the security, when the, when the sure things didn't happen. They needed somebody to be secure, to be strong for them. Verse 7, he led them by the straight way to a city where they could settle. He led these people to a place that was protected. This is beloved. God will do that in your life as well. Let them, those people who were wanderers but now are settlers, let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. You know what they needed? Those people, what they needed was a king. A king who would bring them into a city. A king who would um, fortify their walls. A king who would protect them and make sure that they were okay. What they needed was a king. Let me tell you something. You don't need a king to. <coughs> You'll need someone who in the midst of the desert waste, when your fears are greatest, when your mind is racing, when the insecurities are coming in. Listen to me. You don't need a buddy at that time. You need somebody strong. You need a king. You need a king. But it goes on. And it's in verse 10. There were another group of people. Do you see who they were? Some sat in darkness, in utter darkness, prisoners suffering in iron chains. Now watch this. We're going to come back to them. We're going to come back to them. But I want to read and I want you to see some other things. But we're going to come back to them. They're very, very important. Next, in verse 17. Some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. We're coming back to them as well. 
Let's look at the next group of people. Some went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. These are sailors. These are people who are out in the ocean, who see the hundred foot wave go up in the air. I mean, boy, that was scared even the most experienced seafaring person. And all they could do was just cry out to the Lord. Because there are circumstances in your life that you have no control over. There are moments in your life where you feel like the hundred foot wave is coming and there's absolutely nothing you can do but fall on your knees and cry out to a God who is, by the way, listen. And cry out to him. And there's nothing, listen, there's nothing you could have done to avoid it. There's nothing you could have done to get out of the situation. You're on the seas and the seas behave in a particular way. These people found that God, that God, what, what do these people need? They need a powerful creator. They need a, not only a powerful creator, they need an intimate lover who can deal with their deepest fears and their deepest insecurities. <clears throat> if you walk with Christ long enough, you too will need a lover. A God who will listen to your deepest fears, take in your deepest insecurities, walk with you during moments where you feel like there's no other recourse. You're just experiencing a terrible time. You'll need a lover who's powerful enough to help you through those hundred foot waves. Now, the first person that we talked about, the ones who wandered in the wastelands, and this last person that we talked about, the ones who went out on sea ships, their pain is not their fault. Their pain just happened because of life's circumstances. It's not like they sinned and then they were wounded. But the next two people that we're going to read about, and some of you don't even have a category for God. You don't even have a category for this about God. You just don't, you don't think of God in this way. And that's why we're doing this series. Look at this next one.